That's I think good perspective yeah. is always a really valuable thing. And so that's the thing that I definitely gained from that time period is the perspective yeah. that I still have today. Um, and so, you know, w- without bad, you can't know what good is and all of that. So I, I could make a case easily for needing to go through that yeah. to come out the best possible version of yourself. Hello, thank you so much for tuning into the Active Ingredient Podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and I am a deeply curious person who truly loves all things personal growth. The goal of this podcast is to discuss topics via guest interviews and solo episodes that will help us to uncover our own light, or what I like to call our active ingredient, that will ultimately lead us to living our truest, most authentic expression on this earth. And remember, we all have the ingredient within us. All we need to do is activate it. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Active Ingredient. I hope that you had a fabulous holiday weekend and that you're feeling refreshed and excited for this new season. I am obsessed with fall and you can definitely feel that the seasons are changing here in New York. I hope that you guys are excited for this new season change too. This week, we have Rhett and Taylor Carraway, the husband and wife duo behind Happy Medium, a modern art supply brand for casual artists, aka everyone. I met Rhett and Taylor at an event in New York at the Happy Medium headquarters not too long ago and immediately knew that I had to have them on the podcast because in the one minute that we chatted, literally in one minute, I could see that their active ingredients were oozing from them. And I knew in my gut that their stories would be exactly what we're looking for here at this podcast. And let me just say that they did not disappoint. Taylor comes from a background in merchandising and Rhett from investment banking. And on this episode, we talked to them about how they got to Happy Medium after several attempts at starting different businesses together the feeling of returning home to your most authentic self, continuously growing individually and as a couple, and why their mission is to give adults the permission to be casual artists. So with that, welcome Rhett and Taylor to the show. All right, guys, thank you so much for coming to the studio. I can't, has it been a week since I met you guys? Like two weeks? <laughs> I don't even know. I think it's it's two weeks. I it's think been like literally yes. two weeks. <laughs> Actually, I was, I, I was interviewed recently asking about my process with Active Ingredient, and I was like, I just know immediately if I want to interview someone. And when we spoke and you guys told me about your story briefly in that like literally one minute, I was like, <laughs> I need to have them on my podcast. So thank you for being here. Thank you yeah. for inviting us. This is so fun. Yeah. So I don't know how much you guys know about Active Ingredient, but I always ask the guest what they were like as a kid that they remember. Um, any childlike qualities that either you remember or the people in your life can remember about you. And I have you on this podcast because I genuinely feel like you guys are doing something that's really important to you and it's bringing out the truest version of yourself. Do you find that those childlike qualities are in your personality today? And we'll start with Rhett. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, from the time I was a kid, I was easily obsessed with things. And so um, reading and horses were probably the two biggest things. Um, I would constantly read books. I would get in trouble for reading too much. Um, And then when I wasn't reading, I was around horses, on a horse, uh, reading about horses. That was everything. So, um, And then, yeah, I still similarly get obsessed with things and kind of go all in 
once I choose Does something. the obsession last forever or is it like a short-lived and then you move on? So far, pretty much everything is stuck. Um, really? There's, there's maybe a few things, but I'm usually pretty picky about what I get interested in. And then once it happens, it's kind of off to the races. Okay. When you say you get picky, and I, I cannot wait to get more into the horses because I did read about one of your manifestations that have to do with the horse. So I can't wait to go back to that. But when you say you pick the obsession, like it's like something that you actively are seeking or it kind of like happens and you're you're like, oh, in my gut, I actually feel like this is something that I want to go for. It, it's something that I just know immediately. It's never, I've never like sought out a hobby. I've never like really looked for something. It's just, I know when I find it. That's an incredible thing. And you remember always being like that? From as early as I can remember. That is a superpower. I hope you know that. <laughs> well, it's it's working out so far. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and Taylor, what about you? Mm, I was really goofy. Um, I would say I was like, yeah, very goofy, um, very creative. I have a really creative family. We were always kind of, you know, doing things. So in terms of like my personality today, I would say, yes, definitely. There's There's a lot of lines there. There was a time where I wasn't so goofy as an adult or like, you know, playful or giving myself that kind of room to, to play. But I started doing something called the Artist Way um, a couple of years ago and love. have done that. Yeah. <laughs> love the Artist Way and even hosted one with Happy Medium with a group of people at the beginning of this year. And so through that, it's kind of, um, if you don't know it, it's like a self-guided process for uh, finding your creativity again. And part of it is just like breaking down kind of the things that um, make you who you are today that maybe don't necessarily reflect like who you really are. And one of those things was kind of like being more playful and um, like goofier. So I've tried to allow myself to kind of do that a little bit more this this year specifically, but also in the last couple of years and, and just like be a little bit more free. I love that because I think I've done this podcast now for two years and the thing that I've seen be the common denominator of when I genuinely feel people are like living <clears throat> in their truth and their active ingredient, it's not so much finding it in a new phase of life. It's more like a coming home process. Mm -hmm. And that seems like that's mm -hmm. exactly what it was. It's like you even said that at one point in your adulthood, you didn't feel like that goofy little mm -hmm. girl that you used to be. Yeah. Um, and I, I just love that you were able to find your way at a young age and, you know, live your truth now. So I do want to get into this kind of, uh, I mean, both of you had different career paths than you have right now. Right, you were in investment banking and Taylor, you were in merchandising. Mm -hmm. What drew you guys to both of those career paths? And at what point were you feeling kind of not like you were home or not like yourself? Taylor, you want to go first? I mean, true to form, I had no plan. <laughs> I just um, needed a job after I graduated. Um, I, we, Rhett and I met in college and after we graduated, he had a job, which I'll let him kind of talk about how he got that. It's very in line with kind of what he was just talking about. Um, and I had absolutely no idea what I was going to do um, other than I knew I wanted to be with him and I knew I wanted to be in New York City, which is something I'd wanted to do for years at the time. And so um, moved here with with, with no with one in unpaid internship in fashion, you know, this was back in 2012. And then just um, was networking and and through kind of my college uh, university alumni like group got a job at J Crew as a merchandise assistant. But I, I was attracted to the brand. I knew J Crew. I liked J Crew. Even in college, I had taken like one random fashion class and we talked a lot about J Crew and kind of their brand ethos and things like that. So I, you know, knew it and liked it and was like, yeah, sure, why not? Like it was between that and truly so random. But I also spent a lot of time in Germany growing up and so um, thought about doing something in foreign service. And so I had this other mm. job that was like at the German embassy here. And so it was it was between those two random things and, um, yeah, but ultimately went with So it was kind of just like you knew the two bigger things and then you were like, the job is just going to 
be like a means to an end of being able to be with him and to and be, be in New York. York. Yeah, exactly. And okay. like just start somewhere and kind of see where it goes. And um, yeah, so that's how I got into merchandising. It was it was a really great time. I think I had a lot of luck. I think there's a lot of luck in life. And, um, you know, for me, that was one of it. I've made a lot of friends, have a great network. It still kind of fuels, you know, where we are today. Um, and so I just got really lucky. And 2012 was kind of like the height of J. Crew, their popularity. They were like doing so much. So also being in a larger organization at that time and kind of getting to be there, um, you know, when lightning was striking was pretty cool. But totally unplanned, just kind of happenstance and, and part of, you know, hustling to yeah. get something when after school. Yeah. I'm also curious if like in being in that organization, you find that even though you're in a very creative space right now, and we'll get to what you guys are doing, mm-hmm. um, if you find that those skill sets are something that you actually flex on a day-to-day. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, at the end of the day, Happy Medium also is an art supply company. Right. Yeah. So um, a lot of the same kind of merchandising principles and retail principles generally apply here too. So, and when I started in merchandising, I actually was a store buyer. So that was like totally back to what we're doing right now is, is happy medium. We'll again, get into it is, is a store at the moment, a brick and mortar store. And so, you know, a lot of very similar things there. Got it. And how long were you in merchandising for? I was in merchandising for, I think three years and kind of in that three years I started focusing on e-commerce. And so that was my trajectory. I went from merchandising to e-commerce, um, grew the e-commerce business at J crew, was recruited by Ralph Lauren, kind of helped them build their e-commerce business too. I was, and lastly was at Victoria's Secret. So I kept going to these like bigger brands that, um, were I guess late to the game in terms of e-commerce, you know, at the time, and I know this isn't a retail podcast, <laughs> we don't really have to talk about it, but um, there was kind of a revolution happening in retail. And um, so I got to see some of these really big legacy brands, like working at Ralph Lauren was so cool. You know, there's so much to learn there, but they were also so stuck kind of in a different era in their industry. And so um, I was kind of helping lead the charge to, you know, bring them to this century. And it was very, it was an interesting time to be there. All right. Right. Hit me. (laughs) Investment banking. Why? I always ask, like, I mean, my boyfriend was in finance also before he kind of is, he's now in the midst of like coming home to himself and doing something different. (laughs) But I just, I really am curious why investment banking was that one of your obsessions? So investment banking was not one of my obsessions. Um, so I actually, there was a point in time where I could have gone professional with horses and been a rider and trainer. Um, and then there was the go to college and get a job path. Ultimately, I decided for long term what I wanted was to go to college and get a job. Um, I had been told my whole life growing up because I loved reading that I should be a lawyer. And so I was studying economics with the plan of going to law school afterwards. But when I was going through my usual obsessive learning about the law, um, I kept coming back to being obsessed with business law and wanting to be involved in huge transactions. And that that was just what I was constantly drawn back to. And so it, while it wasn't you know something that I was necessarily obsessed with from the time I was a kid, it became something that I was very interested in and could spend you know my entire days reading and learning about and diving into all of the intricate details. Um, and so that was kind of how I ended up there. And then, um, you know, I networked. I did a bunch of intern- internships. I, you know, did unpaid stuff and then, you know, just kind of hustled my way and ended up getting a job in New York, which is where I knew I wanted to be. And so how many years were you in investment banking? Three years. Okay. Yep. And the whole time, were you like, this is not an obsession? Like, I want to, I also want both of your answers on this. Like, while you were in these jobs, I'm sure that it wasn't like a, every single day you're like, I need to like leave and start my own thing. I'm sure that there were a lot of things that you were learning and were excited about. Um, But I am also with this podcast, always really curious about the process of when those questions or those itches start happening to people. Um, Do you guys remember what that was like? 
Oh, yeah. So, I mean, for me, it was always about building a skill set to go on and do something else with. Oh, it was. Like, it, you went into it with that mentality. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I mean, I knew that I needed professional experience. I knew that I wanted experience inside of a large corporation. I knew I wanted to learn from some of the smartest people in the world. And so that was, you know, my goal the entire time. And so I, like, picked out the team that I wanted to work on for the, all of those traits. Um, and then ultimately, I only left when I had the opportunity to leave with one of the people that I worked with to go work at a startup. Um, so that was my goal the entire time. And that's what I did. Amazing. What was that startup? Uh, so it was a small and medium sized business tax and accounting firm that was completely online. Amazing. And you guys built that from the ground up. So it was actually a business that had been around for about 10 years oh. and it existed as a phone service. And so it was, it was oh, wow. kind of outdated. A, yeah, it was, it was very outdated, <laughs> but they had made the decision that they, in they had a couple of cool partnerships and some things going on, but they were building out their own platform and they were doing lots of cool things. And I had the opportunity to kind of be on the, the leadership team early on in that transformation period. And so I, I chose to take that opportunity to learn a bunch of more new skills and then take them on to something else. I love it. Taylor? Yeah. For me, I mean, yeah, he's, he's very knows, has had knows what path. He wants. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> as much. Um, I find by the way that couples balance each other out like that. Like it, it's typically <laughs> one person is way more direct and the other person is more yeah, I, I envy that. I always envied that. I always envied, you know, my friends who graduated and went to like med school because I'm like, oh my God, you know. They knew. Like, literally, know. why do you think I have this podcast? I'm fascinated oh by the God. process of how people get to knowing. That yeah. that inner knowing is a lifelong thing for me. But for mm -hmm. some people, it's like, you just know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell? How? So <laughs> for me, it was, you know, got to J. Crew, was kind of like doing my thing. It was definitely very much like money motivated. I was like young, wanted to make more money, couldn't get a promotion, blah, blah, blah. I got recruited. Like it was very much like money led. It wasn't necessarily passion led or anything like that. And eventually found myself um, moved on to e-commerce, like merchandising to e-commerce. That was a pretty easy thing. I was really interested in e-commerce. It was the growing part of the business. It was kind of the unknown part, uncharted territory. I like um, those those challenges. Um, you know, I don't I don't like to get bored at work, so that mm -hmm. that was definitely like something I sought out and and did. So that was cool. That was like my first like, oh, I, I know I need to do something more than what I'm doing was going from merchandising to e-commerce. Um, then company, 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 no real plan, just like getting that paycheck was not fulfilling at all, obviously. And um, when did I start? I'm trying to think of. There was definitely a time I I never was like fully fulfilled, I would say. I loved the brands that I worked for. I loved the people I worked with, but the work that I was doing wasn't necessarily like what was fueling me or feeding me. And I, I knew that I like still was looking for something, had no idea how to find it. Um, and so that went on for a couple of years, I would say. So you both are going on these journeys. You're yeah. working at the startup. You're going down, climbing this like <laughs> merchandising. Yeah. Um, so you start your first business together. I want to know the actual logistics on how this happens because I think that a big kind of like, it's just like an esoteric thing about launching your own thing. People don't actually talk about like, this is how much mm -hmm. I had in savings. This mm -hmm. is what we did as a couple. Like if you're doing it both together, like did one of you guys keep a job to keep stability? Did one of you, like, did you do it at the same time? Like I want to know details mm -hmm. because our listener wants to know details. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. So, so Taylor kept her job, and I was working on the project full time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and well, to back up though, like our first time ever working together was actually in college. Um, oh, really? Yes, we met in college. We actually met in an art history class, uh, which is very foreshadowing. And then had back to back art history and economics. So 
and we went to a really big school and most of our classes had, you know, 50, 100, 200 people. So the art history class that we had was really one of the only classes I took that had less than 20 people. So it was very serendipitous that we met. Um, but in our economics class, we started a school project together um, that kind of like turned into a baby business while we were in school, which was um, demand forecasting for a local biscuit shop because they were always sold out and we wanted them. So we were trying to like, you know, stabilize their inventory <laughs> so we could for sure secure Can that you biscuit. guys implement that? into this bakery in Williamsburg yes. called Bakery, who runs out of the ham and cheese croissants every See, day by 10 a.m. And I'm like, listen, <laughs> we want the croissants yeah. after 10 a.m. Every business. But, but they do the baking and so they need somebody else to forecast the demand. Exactly. Guys, um, what? That's so such a cool concept. That was – so. You know, it was a, it was a silly thing at the time. I mean, it was fun. Um, we didn't we didn't get to retire what was it off called? of it. We didn't. I don't, we didn't even have a name for it. It was just no, us, no, no. But like, what was it called? Like what you were doing? Oh, well, I mean, like we were the just forecast. It was demand forecast. Demand forecasting. Yeah, yeah, so that they could have enough biscuits for us, basically. Um, so <laughs> yeah, based you know, on you sporting sell, events yeah, exactly. and all of the different um, things going on in the town, um, we would we would help yeah. them with that. So how fun that was fun. But I think you know more importantly, what it meant was that we always knew that we wanted to work together. Um, I'm like literally obsessed with him um, and want to be around him all the time. I think, you know, some couples don't have quite that like level of needing or wanting to be around each other all the time. And so, um, but I definitely did. And I was like, I would love to work with you all the time. And so, I mean, it's good I married him, but um, <laughs> I think like we always knew the ultimate goal, like the dream life for us would also be working together and like having that time. We value our time so much and, you know, it's, it was just sad, like spending so much time apart. And this was before work from home. So we were truly like in an office and especially when he was in banking, like, you know, coming home late, all that. So we always like overarching of everything, like didn't have a necessarily a plan to get there, but kind of knew eventually in our lives, like we wanted to build something that we could work on together. Um, so then we went off to college. That was like not something we really discussed that much. Like after school, it was just eventually we want to get here. We'll revisit this type of thing. And then we went our own ways. And then, um, you want to start with our first, very first business? Yeah. Retailer, yeah. right? Is retailer, or is there it, one it, before it, that? It goes, it goes back to even earlier There's than so that. So. Oh my god! Okay. Well, and so another thing that I would say that's been very consistent throughout our time together is, you know, talk, we're, we, we're very picky people, and we don't, you know, we don't put up with, you know, a lot of uh, the annoyances of everyday life in the same way that as you do. like everyone listening, like as we should not, we should not put up with the daily annoyances of everyday life. Like no. if you're living in a way that does not meet your yeah. needs, like wake up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we, when we moved to New York city, we had a disaster of an experience moving into our first apartment. <laughs> Um, as you know, most people Everybody, do. Yeah. Um, and you know, we obviously heard that same story repeated hundreds of times over the next few years while we were, you know, doing other things. And so it like started seeping into our brains and we were like, there has to be a way to fix this. Um, and so our first concept that, that we built was a property management app, but based completely around the best possible customer experience for tenants. Yeah. Um, it was called SIG. Mm. You know, yeah. So you know, we, we what does built, that mean? Like, what are like what are the things that you would take off a tenant's plate? Well, so I mean, we actually started with the the onboarding experience. So most of the time, when you show up in an apartment after you've paid, you know, broker's fee, you've paid a security deposit, you know, you've you've paid thousands of dollars mm -hmm. at this point, and you show up and like, you know, most of the time there's a light bulb that's burnt out, the ceiling fan is dirty, there there's no like 
welcome, yeah. you know, anything. Yeah. It's just like, here you go. Make sure you pay your rent on time. Yeah. Um, and so we actually made gift baskets, guides to neighborhoods. We did mm-hmm. like top to bottom cleanings and we were doing all of this ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was that was where we chose to start because that's like the beginning of the mm-hmm. relationship. That was, you know, how you could set a good tone for the rest of the experience. Um, yeah, and the idea was to grow it into a SaaS product because at this yeah. time he had um, taught himself how to code. And so we were doing – this was in 2016. So there, this is actually like more commonplace now. But even like things like being able to pay your rent online mm-hmm. or sign a lease online, like that didn't really exist at all in New York. And so that's what we were working on. Um, and as Rhett said, I stayed at my job. Was you were doing this time. this one with you being full-time and you working on this full-time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, so I was I was both doing, you know, the, the welcome stuff yeah. and – and building the product. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was, you know, how I was spending my time. And then she was helping me with designs and, uh, you know, concepting the gift baskets mm-hmm. and all of that kind of stuff after hours. Yeah. And it was like, um, we didn't put any money up front other than like, you know, having our total income, which was painful. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to give up our Equinox membership, <laughs> you know, <laughs> stuff like that. But we, you and, didn't fundraise for this. No, you, didn't okay. fundraise. It was um, totally bootstrapped. Um but was, like, the first big moment that we were, like, okay, we're going to, like, make a radical life change and, like, you know, not travel as much and not go out to eat as much and, like, have to say no to some of these fun social events that our friends are going to because we, you know, need to work on this and want to work on this. So that was um, our first, I think that's like, a really good business. indication. <laughs> not that, like, everyone has to sacrifice everything in order to make something happen. Yeah. But I think it's a good indication that you're willing. Yeah. Exactly. You know? Yeah. You don't have to, like, you know, it's scary to wire money somewhere and like see that drain from your bank account for some reason it's a little less scary to just see less money coming in month over month but um you know it was it was all doable we're very fortunate that we could even make it work i think um having two people and, and that's kind of been our thing you know we've we moved to new york together even moving to new york right out of school that a job is hard it's expensive it's like you know difficult to do so having kind of each other has always helped that so mm-hmm. we're I'm very grateful to have him but i think we're also very fortunate in that sense and so starting zig was um you know yeah, it was it was a it was a defining moment for sure, but it wasn't like total kind of like startup chaos yet. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So how long were you guys operating Zig? And did you ever go mm-hmm. full time with it? I never did. No. Okay. No, we spent about a year doing, you know, the the MVP, which was the the welcome mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. building the product. And then mm-hmm. we actually got to a point um where we were about ready to launch. Um, but what we realized was the fatal flaw in the business was we were building this for tenants, but we had to sell the product to landlords mm-hmm. and property managers. Mm-hmm. And it turns out they don't really care as much about the customer <laughs> experience as we did. Um, so that was going to be a really hard slog. It was, you know, something that mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, we could have done if we mm-hmm. decided that that was our life's work and we really wanted to to put the time and energy into it. But after having, you know, several hundred conversations with people about actually paying and implementing this product, um, it was not looking like something that we were excited about doing anymore um, from the SaaS perspective. And fortuitously, we had a, a couple of meetings that happened um, over the course of a couple of weeks, and we ended up having an opportunity to sell the, the uh, product that we had built to another company. How? Uh, operating in a similar <laughs> space. Um, but so pre-launch, you sold, a, pre-launch. You sold this company. Technology, yeah. Yeah. Is um, this, would you say, as a result of the relationships that you had from your previous jobs? Yes. It was like a f- yeah. cousin of a friend, like 
put us in touch with other people. It's just like all through your network um, or our network. Like yeah. almost everything in our life I would say has come through our network. And so networking has been, you know, everybody that we mentor to, we like <laughs> force them to network like crazy. Cause yeah. Yeah. that's how, that's how I yeah. got the exact job that I wanted. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, networking is yeah. everything. Yeah. Okay. So you sold this first business. Yep. Actually, before we get into the sale, mm-hmm. um, I also want to talk about the process of letting go of it mm-hmm. and like having those hundreds of conversations where you're like, I don't think that this is going to go somewhere. Yeah. Um, Talk about that process of actually letting it go because I think that that's – we're like yeah. we're like breezing past it, but it, that's actually like a really big thing to do and knowing when yeah. the right time is. There's a Turkish proverb that I read all the time and it says um, no matter how far down the road you've gone, turn back. And I think that that plus there's another one from Stephen King who has this fabulous book called On Writing where he, it's like part biography, autobiography and then part his writing tips and one of them is kill your darlings. So like even if you love something, um, if it's like not working, you have to kill it. Um, and so I think it – I mean for me and, and maybe you answer this because you were working on it full time. I, I definitely was playing more of the support role in it. But for me, it kind of um, – my heart wasn't in it. And so that was, that made it easier. Mm -hmm. And then having this nice kind of like exit opportunity made it even better, but you were definitely like closer to it and had put more of your literal time towards it. So I was happy to let it go. Honestly. I mean, in the same way that I know when I've found something that I'm obsessed with, I also sometimes realize that I'm no longer obsessed with something and I'm very happy to let it go. And this was definitely one of those situations. Again, let me tell you, that is the (laughs) biggest superpower. Not everyone can say that. That is great. (laughs) Well, I mean, I I do always have to second guess myself and make sure that I'm not letting go of something, you know, because it's hard or or because, you know, I like just need to keep going for a little bit longer and then something's going to change. That's where I get confused is I don't Um, like, I don't know like, am I just giving up because I haven't like given it the full shot? Like, I, I I guess I have a hard time knowing when the full shot, like when I've reached the full shot, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's going to be different for everybody. And it has to be something that you, you really just have to be in tune with your gut. Um, and, and, you know, not overthink it, but you need to feel it. Yeah. Um, and I definitely felt like I was done with it. And then this opportunity came seemingly out of the blue. And so we ran with it. Yeah. All right, so you sell this pre-launch company, no big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, then what's next? That was a that was the question. Um, we still wanted to work together. I was still in retail. He spent some a lot that year. Was it was a year and a half, I think, consulting, yeah. and we were trying a lot of ideas. And so the other superpower he has is being a developer. And so we would you know, be able to concept an idea and then have an MVP up like in a weekend. We call them hackathons. We did a bunch of them. We tried so many different things. Um, and some of them we would spend a half a day on and be like, this is insane. And then some of them we would spend months on. Like a, one of them, uh, do you remember what, which one it was? Yeah. The one that we spent <laughs> like three months on. And it's kind of, so this is where I think like self-improvement, which for me, the journey of self-improvement as an adult really came from his curiosities and his kind of drive to improve himself. And then that's when I kind of glued in and was like, okay, I should probably focus on this. But um, we were thinking a lot at the time about the concept of time, um, how finite it is, and, like how you spend it, how you could spend it better. Um, and like, what are the tools you need to know to even like be thinking about that stuff. We both have younger brothers who are in high school now. And so we think a lot about what we wish we had knew 
known then Mm -hmm. um, and kind of like how can we help them, you know, shortcut some of the years. I think some things truly just takes time and and life experience and there's no kind of shortcut for most people. But, um, you know, we were were thinking about this concept of time plus this concept of self-improvement. We were reading a lot um, of different people. I'm excited to share. We have so many different ones. I can't wait. Um, And so we were basically like one of our biggest ideas, I can't remember what we called it, Pro- I, I'm not sure if it ever, it, I don't yeah, think it had a name, it um, but it, it had our time for a while. Um, and it was this concept of like a new type of um, life, like planner, basically. And like, how do you connect your the things you want five, like a years physical out, planner, digital planner, okay. um, and a framework for thinking about it. Cause there's so much self-help advice. There's so many like different philosophies and takes on it. But like our philosophy is at the end of the day, you need to kind of know where you're going and then you need to break that down into little chunks and like see how that reflects into your day-to-day time. And it all kind of comes back to time. Cause how you spend your time is like how you're going to eventually either achieve or not achieve these results that you may or may not know that you want, but even just kind of like thinking about those things um, ahead of time and having I somewhere this. to Does go. I need this. it exist? I'm like, where? <laughs> it exists in the archives of our like project graveyards, which we have many, many projects. Um, but that was certainly something, you know, after having this like experience of starting a company together and then it dying and us selling it um, or dying from our lives at least, like, you know, we were like, okay, what's next? Because we still had this goal of working together. We weren't any closer to it necessarily. Um, and yeah, so that that was one of the projects. We, we worked on a bunch of different stuff though for this year and it was just kind of like I don't, figuring out what to do next. That was like, at least even with Zig, we at least had something we were working on. And so that year was a hard year of, you know, we, we still have this goal. We don't exactly know how to get there. And we're just trying a bunch of stuff. I wouldn't necessarily say it was like fun. I mean, there were certain times of it that were fun, but the kind of like existential crisis of like, I'm still in this job I don't really love. And we still don't have like a project that was like tough. Yeah. You know? And that's a hard space to be in because you clearly, you have a, a clear direction of what you want, which is to work together and find something that you're both really passionate about. Mm-hmm. And like, not knowing what it is, where I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of people are in that stuck phase where you you can't force it. Like you yeah. you actually really can't force an idea no. to come and like, you know, like it doesn't work that way. Um, so I imagine that that year yeah. was definitely really tough. Oh, yeah. And so the slogan, I would say, for that year and even today with Happy Medium, which we love and is doing well, is um, the only way out is through. And so you can't – I mean, you can turn off to it and then that's kind of like how you go down the path of life that we didn't really want to go down, which is like, you know, doing the preset things and kind of plugging into whatever. Um, but, yeah, the only way out is through. So we just kept going. Okay, <laughs> so you kept thinking going. about ideas. And, and then next things. was retailer. I'm like, you guys have a oh, backlog. Okay. Yeah, retailer. So retailer um, was born, and and I guess it more formally has the name now, um, but we had been working together on like e-commerce stuff for a while. Um, retailer is, I think, the most genius name ever because <laughs> it's Rhett and Taylor, but it's also retailer. Yeah. And, I only and, saw the Taylor and I didn't see like the two names. Retailer. So, and what it is, Guys. is basically like <laughs> my um, e-commerce kind of background mm-hmm. meets, there's a lot of obviously software involved in, in e-commerce and there's, um you know, just this whole digital world. And so then combining that with his skill sets from all of the different things he's done and then also digital tools. And so- We've done consulting. We've we've done kind of like a whole bunch of different things in the e-commerce space, and that's retailer. Um, so that definitely started during this year. I'd say the other major thing that kind of happened was I decided for sure to quit my corporate job and like in the middle of the pandemic. Um, right before the pandemic. Oh, all right. <laughs> so, all right. Um, for me, I'll take you back. It's January 2019. Um, 
We're also hopeful. Yeah, we're also <laughs> we're also hopeful. We had just sold our our company a couple of months before, and we were kind of like in that playing space. And I was still going um, to my corporate job, and I was really unfulfilled, depressed. Like for the first time ever in my life, I was like, "Oh my god, what is this? It's terrible." Um, and just like kept coming back to it. Came back to I just like wasn't didn't know where I was going in life. I have a question, like, even yeah. though. Even though you, I don't, I don't know how much you sold yeah. for, but even though you had some sort of financial cushion mm-hmm. and you could have like been like, oh, I'm out, you still stayed and were like going through that oh, yeah. depressed. No, we like, okay, th- we it was not um, a huge financial like boost for us okay. for selling Zig. It was um, no, like definitely still had to keep my job. Okay, um, and yeah, and so I was just like, what do I want to do? And felt kind of like it was at a fever pitch of myself of like I felt myself getting older. You know, I had turned 27, which is not old. But for a woman, you know, people start asking mm-hmm. you things about your lifestyle and like what your plans are. Like, and can you all shut up? I just turned 30 and I literally went through like a whole existential crisis myself. There's yeah. a whole episode on it if you guys want to hear, <laughs> hear my breakdown. <laughs> I was like approaching that. And so it's um, 2019 and I was like, well, no matter what, if I keep doing what I'm doing, going to this job that I don't particularly love. I was at Victoria's Secret at the time, which like was going through a lot of like very crazy mm-hmm. stuff and it felt really gross to work there. Um, I really respect the people that work there, but the culture and kind of like all the stuff that has come out since was really palpable at the time and it just like didn't resonate. It felt gross in the sense that like it didn't resonate with who I was or what I wanted to do, even down to something as simple as like I didn't want to be in a fast fashion business that was just pumping out more like plastic trash in the world. I was working for Victoria's Secret Beauty um, and like didn't really consider, you know, having any type of sustainability kind of arm or anything like that. So even just those kind of fundamental things. And I think it's a very privileged place to be, to be like, I don't agree with the values of this job I have. Like I was grateful to have a job. Right. Um, but I did want to try to like take the next step to align the job I was doing with the values I had in my life. So it was the beginning of 2019 and I set a date of, I think it was October 7th, 2019 to quit my corporate job completely arbitrary other than that like you know summer Fridays happened and I didn't want to miss those and then like (laughs) I got three paychecks in September so nothing like insane about it was truly just like picking a date um that I felt good about and then yeah I held myself to it so and I did it um and that was the biggest thing it was months and months and months of like saving money of course but then also just like mentally preparing myself and kind of like well what are we doing and so at the beginning of 2019 I had this like 10 month kind of roadmap to not only quit my job, but figure out what I would be quitting my job to do. Um, And that's when the idea for Happy Medium came. While Um, you were still at Victoria's Secret. Yeah. uh, I was at Victoria's Secret and it was, I guess, a pre-idea. It wasn't necessarily an idea yet, but what we realized and shared, you know, in this with me and he was at the time consulting. And so he had a little bit more, um, flexibility over kind of like choosing the projects he wanted to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it was a little bit happier. I don't know <laughs> than I was at the time. <laughs> um, but we both really love creativity and beauty and, um, you know, being around people that we are inspired by and all of that. And so that ultimately was kind of like the goal of like, how can we get ourselves, you know, we're burnt out from being in front of computer screens and kind of doing these jobs that we don't necessarily love. And we haven't made huge strides towards our ultimate goal. So how can we just like arrange our lives so that we're around more beautiful, creative things and fun people and like doing, you know, engaging work and and work that we think really matters. And so that was like the question at the start of 2019. Um, And then with any question or kind of like what you were saying that you can't force an idea. Um, It took another kind of six months for happy medium to really take form as like what 
a business model could be around right. this, um, which is art supplies. <laughs> okay. How did you get there? Like, how did you get to the art supply answer? And how did you guys, I, when I, when I met you guys and was in the space mm-hmm. and like heard mm-hmm. the story and why it exists, I was yeah. like, yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> like I am, I am the target demographic for this. Yeah. I'm literally on a screen all day long. And there's like this craving inside of us that we just need to be working with our hands mm-hmm. or doing something outside of just literally sitting, staring and like getting wrinkles from fucking looking at this yeah. thing, you know? <laughs> um, so I guess I'm curious yeah. to know like how you guys just like started testing to see if it's something that you think would be viable. I think from your zig or what was the, was that the zig was the, the property, property one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you, you knew the process of like having done all the work and then getting to a point where there was a fatal flaw. Mm -hmm. Did you guys have a process of trying to figure out in this concept of it being art supplies, if there was a fatal flaw, how were you guys testing with your friends to see if this was something that would be viable? And then how were you putting one foot in front of the other to get it started? Yeah. So I would say that the idea really came uh, when my mom bought Taylor a watercolor set. Mm -hmm. Um, She had been interested in painting. So one thing that we've always done is gone to art museums and being in New York, we're lucky to have all of the greatest museums in the world. And then whenever we would travel, that's what we would go and do is we would visit every museum, specifically art museums usually. Um, and, you know, had always been obsessed with art since meeting an art history class. And um, we've been obsessed with art, I would say, because of the artists and like the people behind arts when you're looking at I'm you the know, same way. a painting. Yeah, you can feel that kind of emotion and just makes you feel less alone. And it's really cool. Like you stand in front of Van Gogh and you can feel kind of like the agony in some of it. The anger, yeah. Yeah, and it makes you feel, yeah, like, you know, the human condition is very universal. And so when you're in a dark spot in your life or even when you're in a great spot in your life, um, but particularly when I was feeling kind of more vulnerable or whatever, I we would go to art museums because it's just something about being surrounded by that and it's beautiful and it's like human hands. It's just so much. So yeah, we, we hung out at a lot of art museums. <laughs> I love it. Um, so she got this watercolor set and she, you know, it came with an instruction book and all mm-hmm. of this, but I mean, it was just like the worst like plastic thing that you'd ever yeah. seen. And it was the most popular thing on Amazon. It wasn't that my mom like picked out yeah. something bad. It was just like, that's what you buy on Amazon or right. at Michael's or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it very quickly ended up in a bucket and like under the bed and didn't see the light of day for a long time, but she still really had the desire to paint. It just wasn't clicking with the things that were available. Yeah. Um, but it, but eventually, you know, she, she found some more stuff. She kept trying and got to the point where she really loved it and was doing it on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, but it was really annoying to set up and whatever. So we ended up selling all of our living room furniture and turning our living room into an art studio. So that was kind of the first step. Um, and then, you know, friends would come over and they would be like, wait, what? Like, what is this? What's going on? And, you know, seeing all of the art and then playing around with it, you know, so we started seeing more and more people open up about how they felt about art, you know, hearing stories about, you know, so the first time somebody told them that their art was bad and then they never made art again, yeah. um, being so scared about messing up. All of these things were coming out because, you know, we had some paints around. Yeah. Um, because so- you created like just the opening for people to exactly. explore. Exactly. The <laughs> barrier to entry for – unless you're an artist or unless you work in a really creative field, although we found that even with people who work in creative fields, they have the same type of anxieties and kind of like insecurities about their art or creativity as anybody, you know, who has never painted before. Um, but that that barrier to entry of like 
expressing your creativity was really high um, and that friction was really high. So we knew there was like a customer pain point um, for a big cohort of people and we call them casual artists. It's not professional artists. It's not kids, kind of everybody in between um, who may be, I mean, the common story is like, oh, I loved art as a kid. Um, but then I graduated and I like, you know, went to college and didn't take art class and just have never touched it again. Or like Rhett was saying, somebody told me my art was bad and then I, you know, never wanted to pick it up again. But one thing we had learned was, you know, for a business to be viable and for us to actually work together, we have to make some money. So is there also like a business opportunity? So we also had studied the market and kind of, you know, looked at the competition and kind of tried to understand the unit so economics. competition literally Michaels? It. Yeah, <laughs> Michaels and Flick um, and, <laughs> Amazon. Amazon. <laughs> and Amazon. And Amazon. Yeah, and Amazon. And and like local, regional, kind of like smaller chains and things like that. Um, but yeah, we, ha we had to make sure that like this wasn't it's idealistic to say like, oh, we, you know, we see this customer pain point, but if people aren't going to pay for it or if there's really not a market for it, like that wasn't something we wanted to pursue either because right. um, ultimately that wouldn't be a viable business at the end of the day. Right. So we felt confident about the market size. We felt confident that there was from this kind of organic traction of having people over to our art studio, which was in our home and throwing these art parties is what we called them where we would like teach them something. We'd have all the supplies and it was really kind of like striking that magic that like we, I think have also started to um, strike at Happy Medium, the physical location where you are, um, which is just like a place for specifically adults um, who, you know, don't necessarily indulge in their creativity on a regular basis to do that. Um, and so we liken it to like, I don't know, like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, like the Willy Wonka factory, but also meets just like a playground, like fun, like something somewhere fun to go. That's you know like what I love <laughs> about it so much is that you're giving – non-professional artist permission. Mm -hmm. I feel like permission is like mm -hmm. literally the word that we need. Yeah. Permission as adults. slip was our working title for happy medium. So. No way. Yeah. <laughs> no was. way. It's yeah. True. yeah. Permission slip. Um, yeah. The, the like naming and branding of all of our, um, different ideas and that some have come to, I'm not, I'm not kidding. Yeah. Permission slip was one because we felt the same thing. And even to this day, like, you know, one of the goals that we have is like when you buy something from us or when you come to our event, like we want to actually give you an artistic license, um, like a physical thing, um, to kind of grant you permission to do that. Cause that's exactly it. It's like, you know, there's a lot of reasons why I think adults feel that way. Um, and won't get into, you know, like the gallery complex and things like that. But I do think that we're – What is the gallery complex? Oh, just like the fine art. Like what – like highbrow kind of art world and like, you yeah, know, having to go to art school. To yeah, like I, I feel that sometimes like that going stuff. to a gallery yeah. or going to a museum exactly. that I'm like, yeah, I don't museum. really – like I like to feel oh, what you're saying. Like I'd yeah. like to know the backstory of the person and I like to feel what they were going yeah. through in that period of time or whatever. Like I like that to speak to me, but I do feel that level of like, well, if I come here, like one of yeah. my friends literally runs an art gallery. Like I feel like if I'm going with her, I don't know as much as she does. Yeah. Like I don't really want to say my opinion or share yeah. my thought of what I'm feeling with it. So it's like there is like from the yeah. that side of it, but I think even bigger than that, just like – the whole concept of like the reason I even asked the question of like what were you like as a kid and why I feel people that are living in their active ingredients mm -hmm. have found their way back. Mm -hmm. Like you were saying that you were goofy in the middle, <laughs> kind of got lost and lost that like yeah. spark in you and have found it again now mm -hmm. doing something quote unquote childlike. Like art mm -hmm. shouldn't be totally. just for children. Yeah, exactly. So I love that you, you're literally creating a physical representation of uh, helping people and guiding them back home, mm -hmm. which is so powerful. Yeah. I mean, you know, for us, we, we believe creativity is like one of the things that makes us human being able to problem solve and like, um, build tools and all of that, like art and kind of creativity is the foundation of that. And, um, so when we were researching like the benefits of creativity and, you know, I don't, we're not 
um, you know, selling whatever <laughs> self-help tools here. It's, it's art supplies and, and like a world of art to indulge in, but there are real scientific benefits to expressing your creativity. And, um, there's like increased dopamine. So it makes you happier. Um, it like lights up your reward pathways in the brain. So you feel like you're, you're getting like a reward from it. Um, but I think the most interesting thing is that it's actually also helping you with problem solving. You're like rehearsing problems. So even something as simple as like, you know, an art challenge, like draw something from this kind of like squiggle that I've made and like make it a picture. That's a problem that you're solving. Um, it's similar to like in rock climbing, they call them, I think challenges, right? When you have to like climb up a wall and you're like really practicing real skills. It's the same thing with creativity and with art. And but so it's also like thing. as children, you're doing that. Yeah, also, like you're totally. building that part of your brain yeah. as a kid. Exactly. And I think what's the Picasso quote? Like about oh, kids. Yeah. It's something like I worked my entire life to be able to paint yeah. like a kid again. Yeah. And that's what, something we've seen <laughs> with a lot cry. of, yeah, a lot of professional artists like kind of go through that phase and then they realize that like really the most purest form of artistry is like in childhood. And then we have all these pressures and expectations and things like that layered on us. And then we become the people we are as adults. And it doesn't necessarily, you know, like to, to get the truest sense of yourself, like go back and look at your childhood art and see the it's things. Literally that, why my first question is yeah. like, what were you like as a kid? Exactly. Yeah. And he, I he don't have any of my childhood art. So any parents <laughs> listening, keep your kids art, keep your kids art, um, keep it. <laughs> encourage them. Like, you know, there's, there's, and, and there's a fine line. Cause the other thing is like, and particularly with Rhett, like improvement. And so in your art as an adult and wanting to improve and get better, like whatever get better means to you, that could mean like technically better and being able to draw a form like more, you know, to spec, or that could be like having a reason for your art that maybe you as the artist are the only one who really understands, but like you go really deep on it. Like that's the stuff that, um, ultimately I think makes artists famous later is, is artists, famous artists are great marketers and they have a story to tell. So that comes across through visual art. Um, their galleries and their kind of like art dealers are helping promote that story. But at the end of the day, it's like the best art and usually the most well-known art then, um, just through that is, is like somebody who has something to say. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's like how we view art is like a way to kind of process the world around you um, and to train your creativity, to train these like muscles that are totally necessary to be kind of like the best human you can be because it is one of the things like in our fundamental, you know, what makes us human is creativity. So. Do you guys think that we all need to go through the fog to come back fully in full form? Like, do you think that like, it's just part of the human way and you have to get lost to be found again? Or is like the true, is the best way to exist to have continued to be that same way throughout your whole existence? Like to not lose it? Mm. Interesting question. Yeah. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I can only speak from my own experience. There was definitely a handful of years where I definitely did not feel connected to myself and I definitely came out the other side, I would say, incredibly motivated to get back to a place where I felt good about myself. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't have the other perspective, so I don't know which is better. I don't, and no one that's been on this podcast yeah. does, so I just, I wonder if that's just like, if that's the point. Yeah. It's yeah, like, com be. is coming back. Yeah, it could totally be. Um, 
that or, you know, the people who have those callings that they've known forever that they want to do this and they do this and they're super fulfilled and happy, like maybe they just never lost sight of that um, and the rest of us do. And then that's kind of like feeling our way back out. Um, But I agree with Rhett, like certainly in my experience, like I'm definitely a better version of myself and more true to kind of like who I was um, when I was younger now than kind of any point in my 20s. I also just turned 30. So (laughs) turned. Did you have an existential crisis too? I didn't because I had it from like 25 to 30, you know. Yeah, mine was uh, a real one. It was a real doozy. Oh, man. Um, I mean, I think perspective is always a really valuable thing. And so that's the thing that I definitely gained from that time period is the perspective that I still have today. Um, And so, you know, without bad, you can't know what good is and all of that. So I I could make a case easily for needing to go through that to come out the best possible version of yourself. I love it. Okay, guys. So it's a physical location in New York. And are you also selling to Mm -hmm. like get to people's homes or Mm -hmm. how, how is that? So starting happy medium was messier than starting Zig, I will say. So for entrepreneurs or future entrepreneurs listening, like I had quit my job, um, put all of our savings truly like liquidated our 401ks, all of that, like very kind of crazy entrepreneurial life. Um, we went all in, um, we, started with events. It was a horrible time to start with events at the beginning <laughs> that, of 2020. That was January, <laughs> January 2020. Oh, God. We're like, we're going to do an events um, business. Like, you know, our business, we were basically running um, figure drawing events and different types of like tie-dye and things like that with, um, we have a lot of friends who work in startups and retail and they had pop-ups or, you know, like physical locations we would go in and kind of like activate their community mm-hmm. with them, things like that. Um, and we were just going to figure it out. That's like, there's another quote also, I think from the artist way that's called leap in the net will appear. And it's one of my favorites. It's I like, believe in that wholeheartedly. I believe in that too. I think you have to have conviction for leaping. And there's a lot of people who just like, well, I'm just going to go. But if you like really believe in what you're doing, you really kind of like, you don't have to have all the dots lined up, but you know, like, okay, I'm going to take this next step. And then eventually I'll kind of work my way here definitely leap and then will appear. And that was the approach we took. Um, but it was not as like nice and cushy. Um, you know, neither of us were making any money and we'd put everything in and we were kind of living off of savings and then the pandemic hit. Um, and so we were like, okay, well we can't do events. We had to cancel all the events that we had booked for like the first half of the year. Things were going really well. It was like exciting. Um, we were like, Oh my God, we're doing it. Like, yeah, we had just like spent a bunch of money on branding, (laughs) which we were obsessed with. And then we had your branding is next level. (laughs) Your website, you you guys, what is it? Happymedium.com. Um, happy dash medium.co because happy dash medium.co. Um, we have an amazing partners in Garrett and Elizabeth office. Um, they kind of helped us. We, we, we spent a lot of time thinking about our branding and then we took it to them. They kind of helped us polish it and really like bring it to life in the way that we wanted. So we're so grateful for them and we think it looks amazing, but yeah, that was a ton of money. (laughs) And that was the first big like personal expense. Like, you know, a lot of friends our age were like putting down down payments on houses and we were like, we're going to get this dope branding. Like, you know, and that's like, again, I think if you do decide to, and and I don't think, I really don't believe that being an entrepreneur is for everybody. I don't think everybody has to do it. I agree. And, but if you do, like, those are the types of decisions you're going to have to start making and you're going to have to comfortable have, with. yeah, exactly. You need to have the conviction so that, you know, when you have to pass up your friends, whatever 30th birthday in Mexico, cause you're too broke, it's like not comfortable. But if you are really believing what you're doing, it's fine. Um, and so that was at the beginning of 2020. Yeah. Like he said, we just spent a bunch of money on branding, um, a bunch of money for us for sure. And then COVID hit. And so 
I had always been interested in kind of the merchandising behind stores like Michael's, which Mm -hmm. have everything under the sun. And it's, and that was part of the friction was like being really overwhelmed when you walk into Michael's or Blick and you're a casual artist, you don't know what you want. You can't try any of it. Some of the people who work there are super friendly, but some of them are notoriously not friendly. And Mm -hmm. like, you know, there's no kind of on-ramp. And so I knew, and also the beauty behind it. So again, like beauty has always attracted us, like aesthetic beauty and kind of like if you can make something more beautiful, why don't you Mm -hmm. kind of idea. Um, And and beauty obviously is in the eye of the beholder. But for us, like all of the art supplies on the market, they were like cheap and plastic and throwaway and kind of disposable and all these things that we didn't love and and objects that – and tools that were really supposed to meant like, you know, spark creativity and inspiration. And so we were like, well, this is weird. Like, why are we using these horrible like, things to make something so beautiful? So with COVID, we like pivoted to focus on the product line because we had been events. We were going to do content and kind of even just like finding a good um, beginner to drawing or something online. There's like a million different places you could find that. And so we wanted a strong brand that would kind of own the art getting back into art as adults, whether that's through art history or through like making art, that was kind of our goal. And then have these events to supplement it. COVID hit, we switched to focusing on products, which was also very challenging because obviously the supply chain had been absolutely rocked right. by COVID. Our, border. <laughs> our yeah. borders. Um, working with factories that had been on partial or full lockdown, like, you know, um, we work with a lot of raw materials, shortages in raw materials or inflation, you know, all of that type of stuff was also something very tricky to navigate, but we did it. Or we're, we're doing it. I bet you, <laughs> we're you're, you're not selling <laughs> online. It's not done. It's not, it's not you're online not selling yet. It. And actually, like, one of the hilarious things is that, you know, my whole other professional life is, like, based in e-commerce, but we don't have an e-commerce site. Um, yeah. will, will you? We will, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, okay. we will. Oh, when? Yeah. Before <laughs> the end of the year. Before sure. the end of the year. I mean, we all, were hoping for, like, mid-September. All, deadlines always slide. I think, you know, we've it's been a huge learning curve with, like, how much actually goes into – You guys should come back on the podcast when it's ready to go live, and we'll just do, like, a quick, like, 20-minute update. Let's like, hey, guys. like We're, we're back. We're on. <laughs> and I think one of the beauty of it is that, like, in a time where um, – you know, we haven't been together, been able to congregate in such a long time. Um, we, so yeah, that's the backstory of the space is like, you know, we always were going to be e-commerce. Um, I'm literally like an e-commerce professional. <laughs> so we Black absolutely skills. will. Um, we absolutely <laughs> will. Um, I have so many ideas and even kind of back to retailer and like the principles of, of what I've learned about e-commerce and what the projects we've worked on, like we were absolutely going to have e-commerce, but in beginning of May of this year, we realized that like New York was was kind of opening back up. And um, one of the major things that was missing was this like creative space. We've always been fascinated by the spaces behind these like artistic movements or, or bursts of creativity, a lot of which happen after this kind of like intense trauma, that collective trauma, like, you know, post-World War II is mm-hmm. when modern art kind of takes off and things like that. And so we were always looking at the spaces, like Bauhaus was the space where all of these Bauhaus principles happened. It was a physical school, um, the Warhols factory. Like that's where a lot of postmodern art, you know, was made and created and kind of fueled this whole generation of artists. So it was always like a physical space involved, but we felt that that was missing in New York at the time, which was <laughs> three months ago. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> feels like I walked in and I, I actually did, when I walked into that event, I did have that feeling of like, not like necessarily like New York is back in my head, but I was like, I feel like this is what old New York felt like when you would walk into 
exactly. Studio 54 or whatever. Like I was like, right. this is the feeling that it evokes is like you're in, in company of something real. That's music to our ears because that was exactly kind of the principle was like, you know, we don't have e-commerce ready yet. Not all of our products are ready yet, but we exist and like we can still change and kind of influence and, and build community is definitely like an overused word, especially in retail, but, but quite literally like a community of people who enjoy making art, who are casual artists who don't have this creative space. So when we were talking about it, um, in the beginning of May, we were like, well, why don't we just like open a pop-up, um, for the summer and have it be a space. And it's kind of like a product lab in a way, because we do make a bunch of products there and, and we sell them and we kind of iterate on them quickly. And, um, it's, it's kind of like, you know, having like a customer, um, research lab, yeah. open, but a really fun one. You've got a so, focus group of a, a lot of people that are yeah, desperate to make art. Exactly. Like a, you can't ask for something better. Um, Exactly. So that was at the beginning of May and we decided to do it. We had um, the money we had raised a small friends and family round. That was a very painful um, experience. Fundraising was really challenging um, in the middle of a pandemic for a DTC company, which is what we were pitching ourselves at the time because that's, you know, where we're still headed. Um, That was challenging. But we did have enough that we were like, okay, let's open a pop-up. And that was May first. What was your biggest (laughs) learning or something that you wish that you could tell someone who's thinking about fundraising Mm -hmm. to know? I, I would say stay true to yourself and your yeah. vision. Don't don't compromise and let yourself be dragged down a million different paths. You'll yeah. hear a lot of bad advice while you're fundraising, and to the extent that you can ignore it and stay focused, you'll do better. Yeah, and you'll right. attract the types of partners that like ultimately will help you be successful. Um, there's a lot of money out there, and I think there's a lot of people who could give you money, and then they definitely they own a piece of your business, and they kind of own a piece of you a little, a little bit. Is is the feeling at least for me as an entrepreneur? And so you definitely want to um, you know respect the people that you're attracting and kind of bringing in. Um, so yeah, totally agree with that. Um, so it's May. We have a little bit of cash. Let's open a pop up. Can we do that in a month? Like. Are we going to miss the window? You know, that kind of like COVID, are we going back into lockdowns or not? It's a huge risk um, we decided to take and weren't totally sure, but we also didn't want to miss the summer because it kind of felt like we wanted to, you know, be out in the summer. We're all desperate. Kind of had, yeah, we, we like need somewhere to go. Um, and so that's when Rhett um, kind of kicked into gear and, and found the space and I need to hear this story yeah. back to the beginning. I promised you guys listening that we would come back to the horse <laughs> manifestation. Talk to me. <laughs> well, I mean, it really just started as a conversation. We were walking around Greenwich Village, uh, one of our favorite neighborhoods, and we had made the decision to find a space. I had been, you know, out just walking around, find, you know, looking at spaces, trying to find the right thing. And Taylor asked me, you know, okay, if you could just picture the perfect space, what would it be? Um, and so I, I described a an old stable, an old carriage house. Um, that had a horse head that was two stories that had north and south facing windows. And it was a just a big open loft. Yeah, because part of manifestation, which I do all the time, and so does Rhett, um, is to be as explicit as possible. If you can like envision down to the exact detail um, of what you want, you're like going to be so much more likely to achieve it because you even kind of know in very definite terms what you're working towards. And so that's why I asked him to be very descriptive in like the space. So, but like even with the horse head, because I think that like that's part of manifestation that a lot of people don't know. And I actually recently Mm -hmm. learned this reading a Gabriel Bernstein book that's Mm -hmm. like you have to literally 
like whenever you're in doubt, if this is it, like you have to have something in your mind that you know that the universe is actually telling you like, no, this is it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like in my mind, I said it was a lotus flower, which I don't even, I I might have to change mine because I don't know exactly what a lotus flower looks like in comparison to another flower. So I feel (laughs) like I need to like go back to the drawing board and figure mine out. But yours was a horse, a horse head. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's very few buildings that still have them, but that is the mark of an old stable. A lot of times is there will be a horse head or something on the outside of the building. Mm -hmm. And it was something that, you know, I, so you literally manifested Mm -hmm. this studio with a horse head in the actual, that's Mm -hmm. insane. I read that on your website and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. 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 And so he said this and then probably like three weeks later, we were sitting at Mr. Fong's, which is across the street from Happy Medium. And we were waiting on a friend um, and we decided he was late. And so we decided to walk around the neighborhood. God bless a late friend. I know. (laughs) We we knew he would be late and but we still went on time. And because we wanted to walk around the neighborhood Mm. a little bit um, because it was kind of a new area for us. And we were, you know, obviously on the hunt and we really wanted to try to find to work directly with the landlord and not go through, you know, like a big management company. So We were walking around and, yeah, he looked up and saw this awesome kind of stable with a horse head and then a for rent sign with a handwritten number. And we were like, oh, shit. Like, this is – So, like, did you call a sign? Like, deal done? Called immediately. No answer. (laughs) Called the next day. No answer. And that went on. I, like, searched on the property records. I found out who the owner was. I, like, was sending emails. I was calling. I got no response. It was, like, two weeks And I was like, and I wasn't really looking at anything else because I knew that this This was the space, Um, but I wasn't getting any kind of reply. And so I was like, okay. This is where your obsession comes in. Exactly. So, well, (laughs) so, but I started looking again because I was like, okay, time is slipping by, you know, like I I need to find something. And so I happened to be on a website that, you know, does short-term rentals for for pop-ups and stuff. And I recognized the building across the street in one of the photos. It didn't have the address or anything. It had like the neighborhood, but like I recognized through the window, through the, window the building the across picture. the street. Crazy. Um, and so <laughs> Are you kidding me? No, he that, I was like, how do you know? <laughs> like it's wild. That is Yeah. yeah that's it was how a second it. it was a picture of the interior looking out the second floor, somewhere he'd never been before, you know, and like I am crazy. literally yeah. like jaw to the floor. It was crazy. Um so we got the space. Everything has, has been a learning curve, though, even down to, like, getting insurance for the space. Like, we've never opened a space in New York, and that's kind of where that you have to really, like, care about and yeah. want to bring whatever you're working on into the world because there's just so many times where you'd be like, fuck it. <laughs> just, yeah. It's not worth it. Like, why am I doing this? It's insane. You know, no, but it's, it's, it's too big. It's too big. It's bigger yeah. than you, I think. It's like yeah. it's your – I'm telling you, I was like, literally, <laughs> I, I am, like, the perfect person for you guys to market to. Like, it is needed. Well, thank you. We we feel it too. And and so we, you know, we got it done. We got um, the insurance rep built everything in the studio. So even just like carrying up, you know, hundreds of pounds of wood. We have a workshop in there. We've, we've built all the furniture. We're, we're very, we don't have a lot of money, but we have a lot of skill is what I like to say. And so, you know, um, when we were talking to our friends about this, um, they're like, that's insane. You're going to have to, you know, pay an interior designer to do all this. We're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> we're, we're doing all of this. <laughs> like, we're not buying custom furniture. We're making custom furniture. So we spent six weeks building it out, um, maybe a little bit less than six weeks, actually. And then we opened our doors to friends and family. And then we had our big launch um, uh, or opening, I guess not launch, is more e-commerce to speak, but our big opening on July 31st. Um, we celebrated our one-month open yesterday with, like, the biggest event we've had. Um, and, oh, where was my invite? Yeah. <laughs> we sold out so fast. Oh, my God. Can you guys, like, email me? How do I yeah. get on a list to, like, so, know what you're up to? The best place, if you want to come to an event, um, which so Happy Medium is an art 
Happy Medium is an art supply company. Happy Medium, the space is an art cafe. So the concept is like you can come um, make art. We, we sell art supplies, but you can also bring your own. It doesn't cost anything. It's just a creative space to be. And like we're there working on stuff all the time. And then we also have events. And so our events have been, um, you know, the, the easiest way I think for people to engage with us at first and they sell out so fast. It's crazy. It's not like hype. We're not, we, we are trying to actually add more capacity, um, and more Because I'm telling events. you guys, like it is <laughs> yeah. absolutely needed. <laughs> and, and we like are so just like blown away. Like we, you know, you always believe, and as an entrepreneur, you have to believe that it's going to work out and, and that you're going to find a way and that it's going to be successful. If you don't believe that, like, what are you doing? And also you're not going to give like your best towards it. And so even, you know, we like changed our whole life around this. We moved, we used to live in Brooklyn. Now we live on the same street as happy medium because we were like, going back and forth, um, so much. And so, you know, we like planned for the best case scenario is what we said. It was a pop-up. We had it through October. We just extended it through the end of the year. Hopefully we'll get to extend it more. Um, but you know, you have to plan for the best case scenario. So, but it, it does still feel, and I think you're probably catching us in like a really interesting time where we had this amazing successful event yesterday. We have a whole bunch coming up for the next two months. Like, um, it still feels surreal that it's like actually working. Cause you're like, Oh shit, I thought it would work, but like, it's actually working. No, it's, like it's, we go home every night and we're like, this is crazy, like incredible. And it's so much fun. And so I think, you know, and, and this journey for us started when we started Zig more seriously. And that was in 2016, I, th I think. Um, and so it's been a almost five years before we've like just now felt that feeling of like, oh my God, what we're working on is like actually working. Still a very long road to go, still a lot to figure out. Um, but you feel certainty. I feel some certainty. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, like, it's, it's, it really comes down to the people for me. It's, yeah. you know, the hundreds of conversations that we've had over the past couple of months that yeah. gives me no doubt. Yeah. Uh, there, there's no way that you can have this kind of connection, this kind of resonance yeah. with such <clears throat> a, a, a powerful and exciting community and not keep going. Yeah. We're over time, but I want to keep talking to you so badly. <laughs> I cannot let you leave here without telling me your list of books or mm -hmm. podcasts or anything yeah. that you guys want to share with our audience. And then also I want you to tell us when we can expect for everyone to be able to buy their art <laughs> roughly and like how can people sign up for these newsletters yeah. to know about the events? Um, okay. So on our website, www.happy-medium.co, mm -hmm. um, we have an events page. You can sign up for a text message alert. That's like the best place if you definitely want to get a ticket. We, we let those that list know first we also have a newsletter i write it called the salon it's just like art history and different types of creative You're topics writing. and things like that my writing yeah I love we, i've started to bring in other writers and kind of co-creators but yeah I've, I've been writing that um and then follow us on instagram at get happy medium um to like be up to date there my book recommendations i have so many but the artist way is definitely something, especially if you're feeling like stuck or in a rut, even if you're not an artist and have never touched art supplies or like such a skeptic, try it. Mm -hmm. um, it's a 12-week program and it really like makes you kind of break down barriers within yourself. And so um, I've personally had a lot of life-changing moments from it. I've seen friends and family have life-changing moments from it. It's very hokey and kind of corny. And if you just go into it with that, knowing that, um, you know, you're good. And then the other thing is there's this guy called Lee Cockrell and he's, um, Dicilliers. No. <laughs> okay. I was like, Not at all. he's, um, this like awesome old 
Disney exec, like retired, I don't know, he's probably 80 years old. And he just gives like the best, most like no nonsense advice ever about how to live a good life and how to run a good business and how to like take care of your customers. And so it's kind of all these things. But he has a book called um, Time Management Magic about his method for managing his time. And it kind of all goes back to the principles of like every, you know, it all compounds and how you spend even five minutes today, if it's a habit, like adds up and things like that. So time management magic is the other thing I would say. Um, I'm super buying it literally as soon as we're done Amazing. Here. Um, um, also the concept of com- compounding has really been like at the forefront for yeah. me recently. Oh, one of his favorite topics. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so, I mean, my list, my two favorite blogs that I read are Wait But Why and Farnham Street. Um, they're kind of- what, What's the second one? Farnham Street. Okay. Um, it really is kind of collecting all of the best advice across time, across disciplines. Um, and it, it does a really good job of curating and simplifying a lot of very complex topics that you could spend a hundred years reading every source material. Um, but they, they break it down and make it very digestible, very quick to kind of move through a lot of different things. Um, and then as far as books go, <laughs> oh I probably have way too many, but I'll, I'll pick just a few. Uh, ben Franklin's autobiography also talks a lot about thinking about how you spend your time and who you spend it with. Um, Be Here Now I was um, definitely one of the big influences behind our branding, but also behind how we think about living our lives. Um, Checklist Manifesto is one of my favorite things. I run a lot mm-hmm. of the operations and all of that kind of stuff. And so I'm a very heavy user of checklists. Um, It's written by a doctor um, who has saved literally tens of thousands, if not more lives, uh, just by implementing simple checklists in surgery rooms. Um, But it's widely applicable to your life. Uh, Time management magic is obviously (laughs) on here. yeah, I mean, I could go on and on, but I want it, an actual like. If you don't mind, like, I yeah. actually would love for you to like screenshot me that list, yeah. and I will share Absolutely. it on our Instagram for Active Ingredient. Um, I also I ask every guest this question, and it doesn't. I, I I want you guys to just say what comes first to your mind when you were feeling in this like foggy space, both of you. What advice would you give someone as like the first step or a question to ask themselves on getting them on the path to coming mm-hmm. home? Um, figure out your why like for existing and like what like your why for working and just kind of like being here that takes a lot a lot of time can take years some people it can be very easy but if you do the work to even like try to understand your why you can always kind of connect back to that um so for me it was you know doing meaningful work meaningful has a different meaning for everybody but for me I had a very personal like meaning for that and then um trusting yourself so like always betting on yourself I love it for me, it's find a hobby that you really love and make sure that you make time for it and do it. Um, when I was at my lowest point, I got back into riding horses and that changed everything. It opened my world back up again. I was truly happy for the first time in years and enabled me to see and do all of the other things that I wanted to do. What great advice. I'm also curious, how would you guys define success? <clears throat> Oh, it's very personal. It used to be very, um, like, money-oriented for me and, like, a certain benchmark for money. But um, having been through times where I felt very unfulfilled and kind of depressed with my life situation, now it's, like, truly the basics, which seems so 
corny to say, but it, I think it really is true. Like, you know, are you fulfilled in your relationships? Um, are you healthy? Like, are you taking care of yourself personally? That's massive. And if you have the time and the resources to do that and have healthy relationships and be working on meaningful work, like that's success. And I do believe that the monetary success kind of follows that when you're you're working on being the best version of yourself and kind of doing the best work that you could do. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's living the life of your dreams. It's knowing what you want and making sure that you're taking concrete steps at whatever cadence makes sense for you towards living that life. I love it, you guys. You are welcome back here anytime. The uh, second you have so your much. supplies ready yes. to go, we're going to do a part two. Amazing. Um, and I want to be on that first list of when I can buy it because I yes, would love to have please. it in my apartment. Uh, when's the next event? Um, the next event is September 9th. Um, okay. We're going to be announcing that on our channels like in the next couple of days. So September 9th, um, we'll have more coming through. We're also going to start doing film screenings on Sunday evenings, just like for fun. They're free. It's just like a Netflix and draw type vibe. Um, so that's like, if you, (laughs) you know, don't want to pay to come and you just want to hang out and kind of be around it first, like come to those, it's going to start the Sunday after Labor Day. So amazing. And then what's the event after that one? This episode is going to drop on Tuesday of next week, which I think is, oh, that's perfect. Cause Thursday will be the the perfect. Yeah. Amazing. Awesome. All right, guys. Thank you so much for coming. I'm sorry. We're literally 20 minutes over time, but I loved having you guys. (laughs) Um, and I'll put all of the places where people can find you in the show notes. Thank Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening. It would mean the world to us if you could rate and review us. And for more inspiration and quotes from the episode, check us out on Instagram at Active Ingredient. See you next week.